So welcome to another show. Uh, today we have Leslie Fiorenzo on the show, who is a specialist in public speaking, but is mainly known as a business presentation coach. So welcome to today's show, Leslie. Thanks for having me, Javon. It's great to be here. So what for you, I mean, I know what I have for my own connotations, but what for you is the or, or are the important things about public speaking? It's communication 101, basically. And we know that it's a number one fear for people. So I feel drawn to help ease that fear and help people be more confident in their words. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're being on stage, right? People get fearful speaking up in meetings. But if you don't speak up in a meeting and get your point across, it's going to be hard to be viewed as relevant in your place of business, in your place of work. Um, I had a mentor early in my career, and one of her favorite sayings was, if you can't stick your neck out in the meeting, don't stick your tongue out in the hall. So in other words, if you can't speak up and share your point of view as we're discussing things, don't criticize it, don't backbite after the fact. And I think that's all too often what happens. What do you think that comes down to? Do you think it's a fear of being judged by others is it a confidence issue is it a disagreeable or agreeable personality type because obviously from the ocean you know five personality traits is it people more on the dis on the agreeable side is it all of those things or is it maybe a societal thing saying well actually it's scary to speak in front of this crowd because of the old inherent being thrown out of the tribe example all of those things javon so let's talk about the tribe first, because I think that people don't understand the how our brain operates, because our brain's number one job is to keep us safe. So I, if I perceive that all of those eyes in my audience or everybody around the conference room table staring at me is dangerous, my brain's telling me that, it's going to impact my ability to speak clearly, to be confident, to use language that's impactful, to not stutter, say ums, ahs, all those kinds of things. So telling my brain that, you know what, it's going to be just fine. Those people want me to succeed. It's about changing the inside message. Uh, when I'm working with someone, we always talk about your inner critic and making your inner critic your inner champion. So it's the internal conversation. But the other things you pointed out earlier were, um, help me remember, because you had a list that I wanted Yeah, there was fear, fear of failure. Yes, uh, fear, fear of failure. Fear of being by others, even, even like the authenticity part. Was it disagreeable or agreeable personality types or all of those things? Yeah. Well, and certainly if I, if I am a kind of a yes, agreeable person, I'm really amicable and I don't want to make waves, it's going to be harder for me to speak up, but understand at that same time, then it's going to be hard for me to get what I want and get my needs met. So if I'm not able to verbalize those, it's about having those conversations. So is there really two parts then? Is there the psychological part of actually being able to speak up? And then the other part, which is where you come, well, both, both parts is obviously where you come in, but then actually when you've got the confidence, what skills do I need to deliver 
a good fantastic speech so as you said not saying um and something i heard once which has always stuck with me and as you said earlier about the the reaching your neck out and the tongue example there's certain things that always stick with you and i heard something once that said there's two types of public speakers those who focus on their material and those who focus on the crowd and whichever one of those you're going to be obviously with anything there's not just black and white there's you know there's something in between but it made sense because i started from there started to look at people who public who were speaking in a public setting and i thought well actually are these people who were just there for the crowd they're not really looking at the material or are they making sure that they get every ounce of detail across do well, you I notice think... that in in your sort of realm of work the differences on on that end of the spectrum yeah so what i tell my clients is be it's before you're as you're creating your information it's about focusing on the crowd focusing on the audience focusing on who you're speaking to so you can craft your message to what they need to hear what they're interested in what resonates with them so you are the expert that they want to connect with when you're in front of the group focus on you focus on what you're doing well Know that you've practiced, know that you have the information that's important for those, those folks to hear. So it's an internal conversation as you're giving the presentation, but before leading up to that, then it's external. That's my view. So what I picked up from that is there has to be a belief then in what you're talking about as well. Mm -hmm. You have to really believe fundamentally in, in what you're talking about, because if you don't, it's very hard to be confident if you if you are trying to sell something or talk about something you're not, not passionate about like obviously you're passionate about public speaking you know that's why you can you know continue to give information but if i ask you to talk about i don't know grass cutting grass and and you know there's only so much you can really deliver they say a sale is the transfer of energy yeah. and that's essentially what is that what you're alluding to as well that there needs to be some some fun, fundamental belief behind that as well I would agree with that totally, Stefan. Javon, it's about the belief, your confidence, and your understanding, your knowledge of the material. Okay, so what about this then? So I heard something, again, worth through the grapevine. There's a couple of old wives' tales, if you want to call them that, that you have to, you know, imagine the crown naked, or you have to speak to one person at a time, you know, as you're, as you're focusing around. What, what do you, what's your sort of, personal or professional experience in in those uh, those beliefs because as you said earlier and we talked about this a lot of the time and we actually said you said this off air didn't you that there was only two um two fears uh fear of falling and the fear of loud noises didn't you and everything yeah. else we've learned have we then learned these you know ways of speaking that actually could be wrong well it's i think it's a lot about the self-talk that i mentioned earlier and not visualizing people naked is I I mean if they that I think it's about visualizing your audience wanting to wants you to succeed. So I have a pre-game mantra, if you will, before I speak to any group. I have kind of a routine and a ritual of getting myself ready to go out there to go on stage knowing that everybody out there, wants to be is there because they want to be edutained right they want education but they want entertainment and so helping uh, people understand that piece to being telling stories 
engaging with the audience. Yes, eye contact, especially in, in the virtual world. I don't know if you've experienced this as you've gone to meetings and at different events, the reluctance of folks to turn on their camera. I had a presentation that I did, I was contracted to do. There wasn't a camera on. I had no idea if I was actually speaking to a group of people uh, or what was happening. It was a very strange experience. So that visualization is the conversation about they want me to succeed. And yeah, it can be helpful to think about telling one person, like pick out a friendly face. For, and so if you're in a room where there's a big group and you've got an audience, I'll pick out one friendly face on each side so you can shift your eyes. But if you're on camera, I say look at the camera and talk to the camera. Um, talk to, that way people think you're talking right to them and do talk to them. As you craft your material, what does that person need and want from you? What's important to them? What are their interests? What are their desires? How can you, especially if you're giving a business presentation, make that come alive? But that's what we're looking for, aren't we? Because, you know, I haven't done a huge amount of public speaking, but I have done, you know, client work, et cetera. And as you said, you, you are looking, obviously it's fundamental, fundamentally the same because a room full of people is, you know, a room full of people, aren't they? You know, people have telltale signs that they're interested, that they understand what you're saying. And we're looking for that feedback. You know, the majority of, of communication is, is body language, isn't it? And as you said, if people have got their cameras off, they're, you know, you're not with them. We can't see, you know, what your feet are doing, what your hands are doing. Because at the moment, I can see your shoulders and your head. That That's it. And, you know, I'm probably missing out on a lot of body language that I would be able to pick up on and, and you know, move forward from there. So it is a lot more difficult on the virtual world. And I actually think this is something that a lot of the younger generation are going to really struggle with. You know, their social media um, addicts, essentially TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. And they really don't socialise as much as... I know my generation and, and, and previous generations have done. And, you know, a lot of the time you see them, they, you know, are glued to their phone. They don't actually see what's going on around them. You know, they're at concerts and they're just looking at the event through their phone. And you're like, well, actually, are, are you experiencing anything really? And, you know, that comes back to exactly what you said with the meeting side. So that being said, what's your experience? I know you've sort of alluded to it a moment ago, but in terms of the real strength of face-to-face -face versus virtual what do you think the, the the key huge differences are and why do you prefer one media over the other? My opinion would be that in when we're in person, we might feel a little bit more vulnerable, at least this in this uh, venue, right behind the screen, there's a little bit of, oh, I don't know, protection, I'll say. So when I'm in front of a group, you're, you mentioned you're only seeing the top half of me. So I'm only seeing the top half of you. When I'm standing in front of a room, they're mostly seeing all of me. So when you stand in front of a group, even when you're seated in front of a group, keep your feet flat on the floor so you can draw your energy up and out. That's my advice to people. I know there's an idea about movement and I would say, yes, move, but move with purpose. So again, you're in front of an audience 
you're moving, but you're moving to make your point. You're leaning into your audience, if you will. Avoid pacing back and forth or or straight. And I saw a pretty famous person on a it was on a monitor. He was being recorded. He was standing up, and I'm not going to name names, but he was literally pacing up and down, up and down. I was shocked by his behavior because it, to me that said he was extremely nervous or he wasn't sure what he was doing or he had really bad coaching from whoever was recording the, the session. Anyway, just my opinion. But you want to, the more you can maintain stillness, if you will, use your body, but use your voice for inflection to emphasize a point. I think you're much more powerful when you do that. Yeah, it's funny you say that because on the face of it, people might think, well, he's walking around, you know, he's commanding the space, he's commanding the stage. But as you said, you know, it, it's an element of nervousness there that you're having to pace around, you know, you're unsure as to, you know, you know, the, the physical side is a reflection of your mental state, isn't it? You're sat there calmly and, you know, you're speaking very eloquently. You're really confident, etc. But as you start to get skittish, same with dogs, you know, little dog syndrome. They're the yappy ones because they actually have um, the 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 inferiority complex, let's, let's say. So coming back to what you said about the screen, because I think that's actually quite a good point. So for those people who maybe do struggle with public speaking, would it be an idea to maybe try a Zoom call like this to, to build up confidence and then progress it from there or are you missing out because again there's always two sides of the coin are by doing that you missing out on picking up on crucial cues that maybe you can't then learn how to do later on i think you can get cues to me are easier when you're live than when you're with a group because again on a zoom call typically you're not going to be able if, the, if you three or four people yes 20, 30 people, 100 people, you, you can't see everyone. So you're not going to pick up on that, those nuances that you can when you're in a live audience, especially if you're leading a meeting in your works conference room. That's a totally different experience than if you are in front of a group of 100 people on stage. But to your point, open up a Zoom call and talk to yourself if you want some practice. Call your best friend and say, hey, I want to run a few ideas by you. I've got this presentation coming up. I need some feedback. And they'll help you, right? Your best friend's willing to help you. And get on a call with them, share it, be open to the feedback, and consider it as learning opportunities. Fail is first attempt in learning. Try again, right? It's an experiment. Have fun with it. Avoid beating yourself up. Usually we're really nasty with our language internally uh, that we wouldn't say that to our best friend. So stop it. Yeah, love it. I think self-image and self-talk and self-confidence is really under under appreciated. You know, if you talk bad about yourself all the time, you're going to end up becoming that. Um, you you need to, you know, like Muhammad Ali used to do, call himself the greatest and, you know, that's what elevates you to, to, that, to that status. So are these sort of things that we've talked about so far, are they the same sort of things that you talked about in your book with difficult conversations or are they different, but there is some overlap? There's probably some different. So my book is about um, 21 lessons for mastering the difficult conversation, but it's more of a journal and activity. So you can 
take it through 21 days or 21 weeks, whatever you want to do. But it's helping people get command of the, their language, get command of their confidence. And difficult conversations are difficult. Everybody has a different meaning, but it's usually a conversation that you've been avoiding, that you are telling yourself, I don't want to have, that this is going to be hard, that somehow it's not going to go well. And it might be with a business colleague. It might be with a loved one. really could be anyone. So there is a little bit of overlap, but the book is more specific to helping you get clear on what you want to say and practicing how you want to say it in a variety of different ways. Well, that does sound very similar, doesn't it? About getting your point across. Yeah, but I say it out loud, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say journal because I'm actually, I've got a book that I've written. It's being published at the moment. It should be out in a couple of weeks that it's a journal as well. So it's really interesting. I wasn't aware that that was a journal. So what are some of the examples of these activities that people need to do? to build because look we can talk about theoretical stuff all the time can't we oh this is what you do in this scenario this is what you do in this scenario but until we get punched in the face it's a different equation altogether so we need to take action we need to learn as you said from mistakes and we need to physically undertake activities to get better so i like that that you know the book has got some activities so what are some of those activities and what are you hoping people learn from those activities and develop from so one of the things that is, it's about practice and trying it again. So when you're thinking about an upcoming conversation that might be with someone that you think, oh, this might not go well, practice saying the words out loud a few times all by yourself. So you get really comfortable with the language and listen to the words you're using. Are they the best words? Are they really going to, could they be misunderstood? I think simple is better. So the the fewer words, the better. The the you know um the word I want is going not coming to me right now, but not being um a big don't worry about your vocabulary. So being more concise is what you're saying. Yes, more thank you. That's the exact word I was looking for. In order to be terrific you need to be specific, borrow that phrase from another mentor of mine. So the more specificity I can bring to things, I think the better served we are. Breathing techniques before. The, the, a breathing technique is helpful when I've practiced it. If I am anxious, whether that's because I'm in front of a group or because I'm talking to somebody about a subject that I think is not, this conversation might go awry, I have a tendency to breathe shallowly. So when I practice, for example, what often is called the four-part breath or diaphragmatic breathing, breathing into the count of four, holding that inhale, exhaling to the count of four, and holding that exhale, practice that. That is a part of my pre-presentation routine, along with some self-talk, thinking about my audience wants me to succeed. Those kinds of things are some practical tips. I also, so you wrote a journal, you're, you're launching a journal. I think there's power in journaling. And you might be, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. I don't know if you are or not, but he's kept, he says, if life is worth living, it's worth documenting. 
So he has a journals from forever ago, right? His whole life, he's written journals. How interesting for someone a hundred years from now to look back and see those. I hope they're published in the future someplace. That's going to be really awesome. Yeah, I think he got that from Socrates. An unexamined life is not worth living. Ah, uh, probably. And um, and Socrates also said, well, he well he didn't say he had a Socratic method. Yes. Um, which basically was instead of me telling you, oh, um, Leslie, look, what you need to do is you need to go up, you need to go and stand at the front of the stage, and you need to start speaking great, and you need to you know have a really interesting idea, and I'm basically telling you what to do. What's what Socrates basically said was was we don't always learn, as you said about the failing, we don't always learn by being told. We need to either learn it ourselves or um, experience it. So what Socrates was um, did was basically ask questions instead. So, Leslie, how do you think that went? And you would give feedback, oh, what do you think you need to do then, Leslie? And you yeah. would, in, in essence, answer your own question with some guidance. And I think that's really important. And as with the journal as well, when actions to do, it's the same sort of thing. You're prodding and prompting someone to actually find out or create the answer themselves but in a in a way that has guided them to ensure that they get to the answer that you want them to in some respects if that makes sense yeah it does i think it makes perfect sense and so that the i when you were saying that i was thinking about the the coaching profession in general because my opinion about a coach is they draw out from you they, they're not advice givers. They're not consultants. They're not going to um, tell you how to solve your problem like a therapist would, right? They're not talking about history. They're talking about now and future. And what does that look like? Because whether I think we know it, it's just having somebody help us discover it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I work as a coach, so I know that's exactly how you, you do it. You don't tell people you must move to Australia and then you must get a job. It's not about that. It's all trying to understand what ticks, you know, what drives the person and what's what's causing issues because you can't tell anyone anything. But like you, you as, you know, as, as someone who helps people to get better, yes, you know the what works, but you need to understand from that person what they're struggling with. And then you can help to to piece everything together, I'm sure. Um, so that's that's really, really important as well. So what other parts in the book are really good practical pieces that people can try in their own life that they can work on? Um, yeah, I'm struggling because I don't have it in front of me at this moment in time. So and I'm trying to remember all the chapters. But one of the things I think I talk about is um, just the idea of evaluation and when we try things how did it work where could i improve what would i do different next time are all good questions to ask so learning opportunities so i talked to you know i'll just pick on the parents and teens because that's always a challenging conversation right getting your teen to pick up after themselves or whatever it is that and it sometimes can go awry, some kind can ask, end up in an argument. So what can I do different next time? How could I make this work better? Um, what's an, What opportunity exists? And then I heard this the other day, so it's not in my book because I just am listening to an audible book, but I, I thought it was a really good idea because we often complain. And so as we com 
complain, as opposed to complaining or catching ourselves complaining, it's the book is effortless, by the way, by um, Greg McGowan. And he said he started the practice of being thankful after he found a complaint and said, oh, but I'm really grateful that, right? So I'm arguing with my team. I'm frustrated. I'm complaining. They're complaining. They don't listen, but I'm really glad they're alive and healthy, right? I'm really thankful that uh, they're still here with me, or I'm really thankful that we have a lot of fun together, whatever that gratitude piece is. Yeah, I'm a strong believer that gratitude's, again, something that's very underrated. You know, everything that you have today, you know, you wished for in, in the past. Okay. You know, you wished for a house, you wished to, to be married or whatever it's going to be. You wish yeah. to be, you know, a, a public speaking coach. You wish to be on podcasts and, you know, spread your message. You wish to have a book. So, you know, you have to be grateful for, for everything that you, that you have. The question I was going to ask, and this is, I think this is really, really cool because we've talked about failure, the fact that you have to fail to learn. We've talked about your experiences. But what we haven't talked about is your first public public uh, speech because I think that's really important because it, there would have been a, a lot you would have learned and maybe something that you that you felt a spark saying, well, actually, this is what I want to do and help others. So a couple of things about that. I remember being in audiences of really my best friend growing up, her mother um, <clears throat> ran some Bible study courses. And I can remember being in the audience and thinking, oh, I want to be like her. She's so amazing to be up there. And then I had an opportunity to participate early 20s in a speech contest. I belong to a business women's organization. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And, and there was a monetary prize for first place. I mean, I didn't even place in the top five. But the feedback I got from my mentor, who was one of the judges, she's the same woman who talked about the, you know, can't stick your neck out. But she said to me, and this was back in the day when you stood behind a lectern or a podium, typically, not so much anymore today, but she said you were grip, you had a death grip on that. Did you think it was going to run away? And I'll never forget that. It was like I, and I, in retrospect, didn't really recall that I was doing that. And the other thing she pointed out, because the stories are important, we learn through stories. And I did tell some, but not very effectively. So never make a point without a story and never tell us, never tell a story without a point and never make a point without a story is basically the bottom line there. Yeah, I love I love the story side because again, as we said, theoretical is very good saying do A, B, and C. But when you when you tell a story, it gets the emotions going and people really remember a message. Like I've been listening to some Zen uh, koans they're called, like very short stories, um, and like some parables and things like that. And it the, the messages in there are something that you really remember. Like the hair and a tortoise story, everyone remembers that story. Because I could tell you, you know, um, don't rush around and basically take things slower and you'll get to the finish faster. If I tell you that, you'll forget that. But you will never forget the hair and tortoise story. So it's very much um, the same. What's your view on things like Toastmasters then for people? Um, oh. I know that's a, a valuable resource, well, deemed to be. Yes, absolutely recommend. Anyone who wants to improve their ability to public speak, even if it's... Even if you have no intention of ever being on a 
stage, so to speak, of ever hosting a podcast or any of it will improve your ability to communicate a thousandfold. Even if you just take the first 10, when I went, as when I was a Toastmasters member, and I don't know if this has changed, it might've changed. There was 10 core presentations that you went through to earn your competent Toastmaster certificate. Even if you only go that far, it will make a world of difference. It, 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 it can be life-changing for people, I, I think. So I always recommend Toastmasters. Yeah, 100%. I think um, the public speaking for me is such a big thing because, and not even necessarily public, but as you say, even speaking your opinion on a podcast or speaking up, as you said, in meetings, it comes as well from a place for me anyway of imposter syndrome saying, I don't know enough to talk about this subject. I don't know enough to, you know, give a valuable opinion. Look at this guy over here. It's under undermining your you know, uh, self-worth in essence, obviously on the, on the other side of imposter syndrome is Dunning-Kruger where you, you know, you think you know too much and you're a big loudmouth. Obviously often those people don't know much either. And we want to be somewhere in the middle, but I think imposter syndrome is a massive thing because for me, let's say I didn't, you know, start this podcast and I kept thinking to myself, I'm, you know, I'm not good enough to be a host and maybe I'm not, I'm not good enough to, you know, to be able to speak about these topics i'm not good enough to be able to write a book i'll never do it and as i said whether i am or not it's not the point the point is that if you think like that you will never do anything and you have to go ahead and 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 do it so what's your what's your goal then obviously i'm i'm quite big on on goals what's your goal for you know your career your development is it just to help individuals get from one out of ten to ten out of ten or have you got a much wider message or agenda well um yes and yes, helping people. So the, a couple of my clients were franchise owners that were invited to speak at their franchise conference and didn't, had kept putting it off, finding excuses, and wanted to stop making excuses for themselves. So in that regard, but also... You need some specific skills. So, for example, speak up in meetings and helping people be recognized at their workplace. Maybe they don't want to be a presenter necessarily to speak on a stage, right? They have no desire to do a um, TED Talk, but they want to be more effective at work. And that's a communication skill that can be mastered. So I know that there's a lot of, different aspects and you know spokes on the wheel let's say of what makes up a good public speaker but if there was one crucial element that you would say you know if i was to give a point you in one direction what would that one thing be practice the art of the pause dead air probably if you're not on radio you don't want dead air but it's okay to slow down, take a breath. There are times when you want to speed up. There are times when you want, so pacing, but don't be afraid of silence. You do not need to fill it with an um, an ah, and that's what Toastmasters did for me. It corrected those idiosyncrasies, I'll say, that all creep into our language. Another 
thought about that as repetitive words, or sometimes we all have little sayings. My dad cured me of this one. When I was a teenager, I would often end a sentence with, you know, and he'd say, no, I don't know. So I feel like I'm like, all right, I guess I got to stop saying that. But there's those kinds of things that can creep into our language that make us less appear less powerful, make us less less effective. Yeah, I mean, they they I heard something once because that's why I know about Toastmasters. Obviously, I'm I'm a bit of a nerd in some respects. I like to learn and read about stuff, and I I saw a speech. I can't even remember who the speech was was about or. Sorry, who who the speaker was, but they played the same speech with the ums, and then they took the ums out, and it was a completely different experience. Okay. And it's the same speech because obviously you can play one with an um and one without an um. That's a completely different speaker, but you don't really see the the crucial difference because there's there's too many variables there. Who's speaking? What are they talking about? But when it's the same speaker and you just isolate that one piece makes a massive difference I, so, I totally agree. so if people want to reach out to you um where can they where can they do so so they can find me on my website which is um leslietheorenzo.coach they okay, can also um, find me on my youtube channel where i i post videos weekly so so the the videos are obviously for resource and the website is for if they want personal coaching for sure, they want to connect fantastic is there any final message you want to deliver for anyone listening or do you think we've covered it <laughs> i think we've covered a lot and i appreciate it but i just would say it is possible to be a more effective speaker and even small improvements i believe will make a big difference so there's i have a download on my website if they're interested five techniques to better speaking uh, free resource if they want that so take take advantage i think take advantage of what's free what's available because you know at, with your podcast and there's a lot of information out there so make make it work for you fantastic yeah i'll leave the the links and stuff in in the um the sort of show notes if you like and yeah. often people can reach out but thanks again Leslie. <laughs> um i've learned something if anything which is which is fantastic and um, thanks again for being a valued guest Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Leslie.